Okay, please turn with me in your Bible, Psalm 119, verse 57. Psalm 119, and we'll read verses 57 to 64 this morning. Psalm 119, verse 57. There the word of Christ says this. The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. I have sought your favor with all of my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have encircled me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. I am a companion of all those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, Lord, knowing that, Lord, the earth is full of your loving kindness. Lord, it is evident to us, Lord, in so many ways each and every day. And yet, Lord, the loving kindness that we seek from you, Lord, is for you to teach us your statutes. Lord, that you would make known to us your word and that we would come to the proper knowledge and understanding of you. Lord, not only in our mind, but in our heart. Lord, that by faith we would, Lord, believe your word, and that, Lord, we would keep it. So, Heavenly Father, we pray today that you would incline our hearts to your testimonies. Lord, that you would open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your law, and that, Lord, you would make us understand, and that you would give to us, Lord, faith and repentance. So, Lord, be with us today. Lord, give to us your testimonies. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the apostle says, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Right? Everything needed for life and godliness comes to us from God. On our own, we have no life. On our own, we would have no godliness. It is only through the power of God that we can come to possess both life and godliness. And God grants this to us through the true knowledge of him who called us. It is through the true knowledge of God that we come to have life and godliness by the power of God. And where is this true knowledge of God found? The true knowledge of God that results in life and godliness is found only in the word of Christ. It is the word of the Lord that God uses to grant to his people everything needed for life and godliness. And this is why, as we've gone through Psalm 119, we see that the prophet has such great love for the word of God. This is why he extols its greatness. This is why he clings so closely to the word of God. He knows that everything he has, he has received from God, and every spiritual good that is found in his life has been given to him through the living and abiding word of God. This is as it says in 1 Peter 1, 23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. We are born again by the power of God through the living, enduring word of God. And we are daily, as Christians, renewed, daily sanctified by the living and enduring word of God. Everything we need for life and godliness is found in the word of Christ. 
Everything we needed that we may be complete and equipped for every good work is found in the Word of God. This is why the prophet loves the Word of God. This is why he does not neglect it. He knows his spiritual life, his eternal destiny is bound up with the Word of God. So he clings to it. He clings to it as if his very life depends upon it because his life does depend upon it. It depends on the Word of God. And this is the perspective that we must have as well. We must see and understand that our spiritual life, our spiritual vitality, the spiritual life of our wife and of our children, of our friends and family, it is dependent on the Word of God. We must immerse our minds in the Word of the Lord, asking, begging God to graciously grant to us His law, for Him to teach and to instruct us in the way. This is what the prophet is doing in Psalm 119, and this is what we continue this morning in verse 57. Psalm 119, verse 57 says, The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. There, he says, The Lord is my portion. Portion referring to his inheritance. The ultimate inheritance of the believer, of the child of God, is the Lord himself. To have God as our God and for we to be his people. For him to be our shepherd and for we to be the sheep of his pasture. This is the greatest blessing that God can confer upon a man. This is the greatest inheritance, the greatest portion that God can allot to a man is to have God as our God. To give them the right to be called children of God. Look at Psalm 95. Psalm 95 verses 6 and 7. Psalm 95, verse 6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massah in the wilderness. We are His people, He says. He is our God. This is what we should desire more than anything else. This is the portion that we want. The portion here has reference to inheritance, to the inheritance, to the allotments given to the tribes in the land of Canaan. This is what he's drawing to their minds. This is the imagery that he's pulling to them. We remember that when the tribes entered into the land, each tribe received an allotment of land that was divided among the members of the tribe. And this allotment or this portion served as an inheritance, a portion or an inheritance from generation to generation. The tribe of Levi received no portion of land, but only cities scattered throughout the land of Canaan. And God would be the one who would provide for their needs. And God told them that he would be their portion, that God himself would be their portion or he would be their inheritance, and they need not worry about these things because God would provide for their needs. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. We have this stated there. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verses 8 and 9. Deuteronomy 10 verse 8 says, At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to serve him, and to bless his name until this day. Therefore Levi does not have a portion of 
or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God spoke to him. Right? What was true for Levi was done intentionally by God. It was done symbolically to represent to the people spiritual realities. As it was with Levi in regards to physical inheritance, so it is with all of God's people in regards to spiritual inheritance. This is the connection the prophet David is making in Psalm 119, verse 57. Though David was of the tribe of Judah, and he had an allotment of land in the land of Canaan, he knows that spiritually speaking, the Lord is his portion. The Lord is his inheritance. As God provided for the physical needs of Levi, so God will provide for all of the spiritual needs of his people. The Lord himself will be their portion. He will be their inheritance. He will give to his people everything they need for life and godliness. Psalm 73. Psalm 73, verses 25 and 28. Psalm 73, 25. says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you I desire nothing on the earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell all your works. The Lord is his portion. This is why he wants the nearness of God. This is his good. This is his ultimate good. This is his spiritual good. To be near to the Lord, right? To be near to God, to know God, for God to be his God, and for him to be one of his people. This same truth is repeated in the New Testament as well. In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. In Romans 8 verse 17, it talks about the inheritance that the children of God have with Christ. Romans 8, 17. We'll start in verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs, also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we also may be glorified with him. There we are said to be fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him. If we suffer with Christ, we will be glorified with Christ. We will receive an inheritance with Christ. What Christ inherits, we will inherit alongside him because we belong to him, because we've been united to him, baptized into Christ Jesus. Because of this, then the Lord is his portion. And because God is his portion, then he has promised, he says in Psalm 119.57, to keep the word of God, to obey God, to listen to the voice of God. This is how it should be with us. If God is our portion, if we are children of God, if we are heirs with Christ, then we must listen to the voice of God and not listen to the voice of strangers. We need to listen to the voice of the good shepherd alone. Why should the wife listen to the voice of a man who is not her husband? And so we, who are the bride of Christ, should only listen to the voice of our husband, of the one 
who we belong to. We belong to Christ, so we should hear and we should obey his voice only. This is why here this prophet promises to keep the word of God, to listen and to obey and to heed God's voice. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1, says, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. There, the purity of the church, the purity of the bride of Christ, is connected to their listening to his word, obeying his word, not being led astray, not being taken captive by the serpent and by his false teachers, but only heeding the word of Christ. If Christ is our all, if he is our portion, then we should not look for another inheritance in this present world, in the things of this life. We should not listen to the world or the things of the world or those who belong to the world, but we should listen to the voice of Christ. And where is the voice of Christ present with us? It is in his holy word. So we should listen to the words of Christ. Psalm 119 verse 58 says, I sought your favor with all of my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. There, he says, I sought your favor with all of my heart. Here, he has one thing on his mind, and that is to have the favor of God upon his life. This is what he wants more than anything else, for God to be merciful to him, to have God's favor, to have God's loving kindness evident in his life. Right? He's seeking the favor of God, and he's doing this not according to his own wisdom, but according to the wisdom of God. He's letting God define and determine what it means for God to be favorable to him. And then he's asking for God to give him those things that God has determined are for his good and benefit. This is contrary to what many people do. For many, they want to determine through their own wisdom, through their own desires, what it means for God to be favorable to them. And then they pray in accordance to their own desires, to their own lust. God's favor for many is always and only in reference to the comforts and pleasures and successes associated with this present life. Right? For God to be favorable is for him to give me everything that I want. Riches, pleasure, happiness, success a big house, fine cars, a large family, a perfect wife, a perfect husband, lots of food, lots of drink, lavish vacations. Basically, what most people want, they want the lifestyle of the rich and famous. As it was said of the rich man in Luke 16, verse 9, it says there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. This was what was true of him, And many people would say, this man has the favor of God, and may God bless me with this type of favor as well. May God give to me the favor that he has given to the rich man. But was the rich man a true possessor of the favor of God? Was the grace of God truly on his life? No, because what happened to him at his death? 
he went to Hades, and there his soul was being tormented. This is why the prophet is not asking for the favor of God in accordance to the things of this world. He's not seeking this type of favor. He's seeking God's favor according to God's word, asking for God to be gracious to him according to the will of God. God, you give to me those things that you determine are for my good, are for my benefit, are for my blessing. This is what we need to do. Who of us would ask for God to give us sufferings, would ask for, us to, for us, uh, God to give to us hardships? We wouldn't do that. But God will give those things to us for what reason? To sanctify us, to purify us, right? For our benefit. We must submit our life to the will of God and ask for God to graciously grant to us those things that he determines are for our good. And those things must primarily be spiritual. Spiritual favors, the spiritual blessings of God, salvation from sin. This is what we should desire from the Lord, that God would be gracious to us and give to us the power, the strength to overcome sin in our life, that the Holy Spirit would have his way in our life more and more. Luke 11, Luke 11, verse 9 to 13, here in Jesus teaching us to pray, he also tells us what we should be praying for. Luke 11, verse 9. He said, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father... Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. There, we are to ask, we are to seek, we are to knock from God, to God. But here, what are we supposed to ask for? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. How much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is to have the favor of God, to have the blessing of God, for the Spirit to be in our life, to be controlling our life, to be conforming our life, to the image of Christ. This is what we should want. And God says he will give good gifts. God promises to provide for our needs. So then why do we not ask God to bless us according to his word? If God promises us these blessings, then why do we not ask God for those things that he's already promised us? As it says in James chapter 1, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives graciously without reproach. So why don't we ask God for those things? For wisdom, for salvation, for the Holy Spirit, for the power to overcome sin, knowing that God wants to give to us these things. That's what the prophet is doing in Psalm 119. He's asking for God's favor, but he wants that favor according to the will of God. This is the way that we need to be. We need to seek the favor of God by asking God to be gracious to us according to God's will. He's asking with the right motive, and he's asking for the right kinds of things. And these are the prayers that God will answer. When we ask for those things that are according to his will, and we're asking for the right reasons. 
for the right reasons. We can't be like the adulterous people of James chapter 4 who were not having their prayers answered because they were asking with evil motives, right, for their own passions, right, because of their own lust. This is why they were asking, and God will not answer those prayers. Psalm 119, 59 to 60 says, I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. Here, it's not enough that we ask God to be gracious to us. Certainly, we need to do that, and we need to depend upon the grace of God. But we also must conform our lives to His will. The prophet knows both of these truths, and he is holding them together in perfect harmony because there's no contradiction between asking and depending upon the grace of God and our own responsibility to obey God and to seek His will. Having asked God to be gracious to him, he now examines his own life. He considers his ways to see if his ways are conforming to the will of God. Whatever he finds that is consistent with God's will, he's going to continue doing those things. But whatever he finds that is contrary to God's will, he's going to reject those things, repent of those things, and turn his feet to God's testimonies. This is the Christian life. This is what we are supposed to do from our conversion unto our death. None of us are perfect. None of us will ever be perfect in this present life. Even the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says that he was not a perfect man. And if he's not perfect, then certainly none of us are perfect either. So what is there the constant need for us to do? To examine our life to consider our ways, to turn our feet to the pathway of God's commandments, to constantly be examining our life, searching the scriptures, judging our life, our values, our practices, our beliefs, our words, our ambitions, whatever it is that we have, the way that we've always done things. We need to be looking at these constantly in light of Scripture to make sure that what we're doing conforms to the Word of God. And if we discover that they do conform to the Word of God, then keep doing them, right? Continue in those things. But if we discover that they do not conform to the Word of God, then repent. Repent of those things, reject what we've been doing, and turn our feet to God's testimonies. It's very simple. It is very simple. Repentance is very simple and very easy in terms of the expectation. If there is some practice contrary to God's word, some belief that I have that is not coming from the word of God, that I don't have the right understanding from God's word, then when you come to the right understanding, throw out the old and embrace the new. Get rid of it. Say, I don't want anything to do with that. I was wrong. I wasn't thinking biblically about these things. I now clearly see what the Bible says. I'm going to reject the old, and I'm going to embrace the new. I'm not going to believe what I used to believe. I'm not going to do what I used to do. Right? I'm not going to say the things that I used to say. Because I see that I was wrong. And now I need to do what God says in His Word. Why is that so difficult? Why is that so hard? What is lacking is the willingness. What is lacking is the humility. What is lacking so often is the eagerness to obey the word of God. What repentance requires is very simple 
It is straightforward. It is clear. The reason we find repentance to be difficult is because of our own stubbornness, our own stubborn hearts, the flesh that rises up with pride against the will of God. But aren't we called to crucify the flesh along with its desires? We have to crucify the flesh. We must crucify our pride. We must admit that we're not perfect. We don't have perfect knowledge. We don't have perfect obedience. There are going to be areas where we need to repent, where we need to conform our life to God's will. And when we find and discover those things, then do it. Then do the will of God. And here we have an example of how it is that we should do it. Notice what he says. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. Isn't that the right attitude? Isn't this the proper attitude to the word of God? I hastened, he said. I did not delay. As soon as I discovered that what I have always done or what I had always believed did not match up with the word of God, then immediately he halted what he was doing and he hastened to the word of God. He hastened and immediately said, I'm going to do it God's way from now on. Immediate obedience. He didn't say, you know, I need to consider this for 40 years, and then I'll make a decision on it. Why do you need to consider it for 40 years? He didn't say, I need to think about this for 40 weeks, or even 40 days, or even 40 hours, or even 40 minutes. He knew what he needed to do. He hastened. He did not delay. We don't need to wait a year, a month, one week, one day, but when is the day of salvation? When is the good time to repent? Today is the day. Now, do not delay. Now is the time to repent. If you're driving down the road and there's a sign that says the bridge is out, do not go any further, what do you do? Do you not stop, halt, turn around, and go back the other way? Well, isn't that what we should do with spiritual things? Isn't that what we should do with the will of God? when we discover that something we're believing or something that we're doing is not consistent with God's word, and we come to that conclusion, stop. We should stop, we should halt, and we should hasten to the will of God. Do it the way that God requires. This is the way that we should be in our repentance. Do not delay, but rather hasten to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 6. Second Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2 says, In working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What day is the acceptable time to obey God? What day is the day to repent? What day is the day of salvation? Today is. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden them, but rather repent. Quick, immediate, enthusiastic repentance and obedience to God. 
This is the Christian way. This is the way that we ought to do it. Isn't that what righteous King Josiah did when they read the law of God to him and he discovered when it came to his attention how many infractions of God's word were being committed in Israel? He tore his clothes and immediately he set about changing the, the, the problems, reforming the country, rectifying the issues. He did it immediately and enthusiastically. He wasn't grumbling. He wasn't complaining, saying, oh, what a heavy burden this is to bear. No, he set about changing things and doing the will of God. And that's the way that we ought to be as well. Psalm 119, verse 61. The cords of the wicked have encircled me, but I have not forgotten your law. When we enthusiastically hasten after the pathway of God's commandment, when we seek to obey God's will with all of our hearts, we are going to have our fair share of critics of naysayers, right? There will be those who will rise up against us. We will cross wicked men who will not share our enthusiasm to obey God. They're going to want to throw cold water on us. We want to burn hot with zeal for the Lord. We want in our zeal to obey God all the way, and they're going to want to throw cold water on us. As it says in 2 Timothy 3, 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Or our Lord Jesus Christ says in John 15, verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you, A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they also will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. This is what the prophet David is experiencing in his own life, concerning his own life. He has sought God with all of his heart. And the result is that he has been repaid with evil. He's doing good, but the wicked are responding to his good by doing wicked things to him by taking cords and trying to entrap him with them. The cords of the wicked, he says, have encircled me. They're seeking to destroy him, to trap him, to encircle him with cords or with ropes. And did this not happen to David many times throughout the course of his life? Early in his life, Saul, wicked King Saul, was very jealous of David. Saul had evil suspicion of David. He assumed David was trying to overthrow him undermine him, trying to steal his kingdom away from him, and that wasn't the case at all. David was a faithful servant to King Saul. He was a loyal, faithful man to him. He did good to Saul. He promoted Saul's kingdom, and Saul sought to destroy him because of this. He sought to encircle him with cords of wickedness. What about Nabal, that harsh and wicked man? Didn't he do that to David as well? He repaid David's good with evil, refusing to assist him, even though David had been of such a great benefit to Nabal. What about his own son, Absalom, who turned against him? His own son tried to take and overthrow and undermine his kingdom. His own son committing treason and treachery against him. Many instances where David was encircled by the cords of wicked men. And if we are living a godly life, This will happen to us as well. It will happen. People will nitpick. They will have evil suspicion. They will slander. They will gossip. They will ridicule. They will reject you. They will say all manner of evil against you falsely for the sake of Christ. This is the way it happens in the Christian life. Well, when that happens, how should we respond? Notice what he says. I have not 
forgotten your law. We should continue living a godly life. And then when persecution arises because of godliness, we should keep on living a godly life. The prophet David is not so perplexed and so anxious over the persecution of the wicked that he abandons his faith and forsakes the pathway of righteousness. But rather, he continues living a godly life and entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He knows the suffering is for his good, it's for his sanctification, and in God's timing, God will give him peace. If God wants to give us peace with our enemies, then God can give us peace, but not through compromise. It has to be through the will of God. As it says in Proverbs 16, verse 7, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. God can do that. He can do it. He doesn't always do it. There are times where he allows the wicked to be against us, to not be at peace with us, to cause us trouble, heartache, afflictions, sufferings. But it's all for our good and it's for our benefit. And when that happens, God is testing us to see whether we will be faithful to the Lord. And here the prophet tells us when he was encircled with the cords of wicked men, he did not abandon the word of God. He did not neglect and forsake the law of God. Even though his obedience to that law resulted in suffering and persecution, he continued being faithful to God. This is the way that we must be as well. Verse 62, Psalm 119.62 says, At midnight I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. At midnight, he says, the time when most people are asleep, the time when evildoers like to commit their sins against God. What is he going to do at midnight? He is rising up and giving thanks to God. There are times when we have sleepless nights especially when we're encircled by the cords of wicked men. I imagine the prophet David had many sleepless nights because of his harsh sufferings. But when that happened, he's not grumbling against God. He's not curled up in the fetal position on the floor, moaning and complaining about how difficult his life is, how hard the circumstances God has put upon him. But rather, he's rising up giving thanks to God, praising God in the midst of his sufferings and hardships. Instead of his suffering leading him to curse God, it leads him to praise God, to thank God, to praise God. This is the way that we should be. We have an example of this in Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. How many people would respond to a good beating and false imprisonment in this way, in this way. What would we do if we were in this situation? Acts 16, verse 22. says, The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. 
When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for the lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? There, Paul and Silas, they were beaten with many blows, struck with rods with many blows, thrown into the inner part of the prison, feet fastened in stocks. And there at midnight, what do we find them doing? Praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Maybe they were singing Psalm 119, verses 57 through 64. Maybe this is what they were singing. It was on their mind. But they're doing it at midnight, just as the psalmist says, just as the prophet says, he did, this is what they are doing. Instead of being anxious, instead of being embittered in their soul toward God, instead of moaning and complaining, instead of plotting and planning their escape or their revenge, they are praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Why? Notice what it says in Psalm 119.62. Because of your righteous ordinances. They trusted God, like the prophet, to take care of their enemies. This is why David, even when he had the opportunity to kill Saul, refused to do so. He trusted in the righteous ordinances of God. That God would deal with him. That God would defend him. God would take care of Saul in due time. God would deliver him from his hands. God's righteous ordinances will be completely and universally revealed in due time. The wicked will answer to him for the crimes that they have committed against God and against his people. And on the day of judgment, they will have no one to help them. There will be no one for them to appeal to. They will only have condemnation. As it says in Isaiah 43, 13, Even from eternity I am he. And there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? No one. God will do it. Psalm 119, verse 63. I am a companion of all those who fear you, and of those who keep your precepts. What should we do in this present life? Who should we seek out? Yes, we will have the cords of the wicked surround us, and there is hardship in this present life, but God does not give to us only hardships. He does not give to us only sufferings, only rejection, only afflictions. God gives to us in this life a mixture of hardships and blessings. He does this for his children. He does it so that we can bear up under these things. We saw the hardships that come from the cords of the wicked who encircle the righteous, but God does not leave his people completely alone. Though they are marginalized, though they are rejected, though we may be like the prophet Elijah, who considered himself to be the only one who was left, yet God testified to him that he had 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal. And so it will be with us. In one sense, we feel alone. We feel rejected. We feel marginalized. We will be rejected by many. However, there will be those who will love us, who will accept us, who will want to have fellowship with us, who will want to be our companions. And that's what he's doing here. Who is he a companion with? Who are the friends that he's looking for? 
Who are the ones that he wants to walk with in this present life? Not the wicked, but notice what he says. Those who fear the Lord and keep his precepts. Precepts. These are the ones that he delights in. They are his companions, his friends. His closest relationships in this life are those who fear God and keeps his precepts, the precepts of God. He wants to be with them. He doesn't want to be with feeble, fickle, superficial people. He doesn't want these kinds of friendships based upon common interest. Well, you like football and I like football, so we should be friends. You like to go hunting and I like to go hunting, so we should be friends. You like cars and I like cars, so we should be friends. You like to go shopping and drink coffee, and I like to go shopping. This is for the women. And drink coffee, so we should be friends. right? This is the way that people think in this present life. We have common interests, so let's be friends, and we'll do all sorts of things together, and this is, we'll hang out together all the time, and those will be our companions. That's not what he's doing. His friendships, his companions are those who fear God, those who are obeying God, those who want to walk with God. Those are the people he wants to be with. He wants to pursue and make friends on this basis. Fear and obedience to God. If we go back to Psalm 1, isn't this what's taught in Psalm 1 at the very beginning? Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. There, in Psalm 1-1, he doesn't want to be with the wicked. He doesn't want to stand in the path of sinners. He doesn't want to sit in the seat of scoffers. He doesn't want to be with those kinds of people. But rather, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And not only in the law of the Lord, but also in those who love the law of the Lord. Those who have the same faith, the same desire, the same pursuit in life. He wants to be with them. He wants to walk with them on the pathway of righteousness. This is how we should be. We have to be like this. Why would we want our close companions, our closest friends, to be those who don't fear God? How are they going to help us in the Christian life? This cannot be the case, but rather we must befriend those who fear the Lord. We need this. It's essential for the Christian life. You cannot live a faithful Christian life by yourself, and you cannot live a faithful Christian life if you are surrounded by evildoers, if your close companions are those who do not fear God, because they're going to drag you down. They're going to want to drag you to hell with them. This is the way that it works. Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs 27, verse 5. says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of of an enemy. Then also verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Right? Is an unbeliever, is a wicked man, is he going to give you faithful wounds? Is he going to tell you what you need to hear to overcome sin? To, so that you will repent and live a godly life? Is he going to tell you those things? 
Of course he's not going to do that. He's going to encourage you to commit more sin. He's going to encourage you because he wants you to be like him. He wants you to live the way that he does because it gives him an easy conscience. It soothes his conscience when we live the way that they live. No, we need the righteous with us. Those who will say the hard things. Those who, if we are sinning, will rebuke us and call us to repent. Those who will sharpen us as iron sharpens iron. Ecclesiastes, also chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. It says, two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Right there. What are we going to do if we fall, if we stumble and fall? If our close friends are the wicked, are they going to pick us up so that we continue in the pathway of righteousness? No. They're the ones trying to trip us. They, they want us to fall. They want us to fall with them. But we need to be with the righteous. Those are our companions who will help us, who will pick us up, who will help us resist the devil, who will help us overcome sin and temptation and false teachers. We need to be with them because they're going to help us in our Christian life. They're going to encourage us to be faithful to the Lord. They're going to encourage us to walk with God, to not give up, to not abandon the faith, but to persevere and to press on until we reach the kingdom of God. An example of this would be in Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, this was the case with Apollos. Acts 18 verse 24. Acts 18 24 says, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. But when he wanted to across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. There, when Apollos arrived, it says that he greatly helped those uh, who had through faith believed in Jesus. He was a great benefit and a help and encouragement to the righteous, to the believers, because he was refuting the Jews who were trying to contradict the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was silencing the critics of the gospel, those who were trying to undermine their faith. He was putting them to open shame through debate, right? Through his reasoning from the Bible and proving that Jesus was the Christ. So it was bolstering and helping the faith of the saints. This is why we need to be with the righteous, a companion of those who fear God. Also, we don't want our close companions to be the wicked because they're going to drag us down. They're going to drag us down. They're not going to help us like Apollos was to, be, to the believers. 
They're going to stunt our growth. They're going to be an impediment to us. They're not going to sanctify us, but they want to corrupt us. And doesn't the Bible teach us in 1 Corinthians 15, 33? Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. If we are with bad company, they're going to corrupt our good morals. This is the way it works. So we need to stay away from them in terms of close companionship. Yes, preach the gospel to them. Yes, call them to repent. But if they will not repent, then why would we associate with them? Why would we have this close relationship with them? Right? It is easy to be corrupted. It is easy to fall in with a multitude in doing evil when we are surrounded by the wrong people. And yes, of course, in some cases, it is unavoidable. When we go to work, we can't control many times who it is that we're working with. So in that case, we just have to make the best of the situation. But we can control who we go to church with. We can control who we're with in our free time, in when we're not at work, when we're doing this or that. We can choose to go to Bible study and to be around the godly where we're going to be encouraged in the scriptures and we're going to talk about the things of God together. This is what we need to be doing. We need to have our companionships with those who fear God. We must be very careful who we walk with, who we walk with in this life. Verse 64, 11964. The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. God's loving kindness, he says, is displayed throughout all of the earth. The earth is full of the loving kindness of God of the goodness of God, it is evident, it is manifested in many ways each and every day. Doesn't this earth produce a great bounty? Is it not rich with so many things, with so much goodness that comes from God that supplies the needs of man and beast? Everything that is needed for life, God has given it into this earth to benefit us and to be enjoyed by men. And both the believer and the unbeliever receive goodness from God in the earth. Notice in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, 43 to 45 teaches this. Matthew 5, verse 43 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Then also, while we're there, chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 26, says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And you, and who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is stoned in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? There we have the birds, the grass, the lilies, even the wicked. They all receive loving kindness from God in the sense that the earth is filled with the bounty of God and they all have their life from the bounty that God has given 
in the earth. Now, what is his point in doing this? Right? He's observing this truth that is manifested in the material world. And since this is true in the material world, then will it not also be true in the spiritual world? Since it is plain and obvious that God is good to all the earth, that God provides for the physical needs bountifully for all living things, then should I not also seek God for the spiritual things that I need, for the spiritual good that I need for my immortal soul? That's the connection he's making between the physical world and the spiritual world. God provides for the bodies of men bountifully, then he will also provide for my soul bountifully. He will give to me the spiritual things if I seek him for that. And where does this bounty come from? Where is it found? What is the means that God will use to pour out his loving kindness upon the souls of men? Well, notice what he says in verse 64. Teach me your statutes. This is where he's looking for the spiritual blessing of God, the grace of God, the bounty of God to come to him from the word of God. Lord, I do not understand. Lord, I do not know everything I need to know. Lord, I do not have the wisdom that I need, but you have it and you can teach me. Lord, you can give me those things that I need for life and godliness. This is where the blessing is found, and that's why he's begging God. He's pleading with God, God, please teach me your statutes. This is the one who has the true loving kindness of God upon his life. It is the one who is taught by God, who is taught spiritual truths by the Spirit of God. This is the blessing that we should seek. Do we want a blessed life? Do we want the loving kindness of God to be upon us, to be upon our families, to be upon our church? Then we must seek God in this way. We must seek God through his word and ask God to teach us his statutes. May this be true of us and may we seek God in this way. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, knowing that you are the portion of your people. Lord, you are our inheritance. And Lord, there is nothing on earth that we desire besides you. Lord, we know as well that eternal life is knowing you, the true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. But Lord, how can we know you? And Lord, how can we even now enter into our inheritance? if we are not seeking you in your word. Lord, it is only through your word, Lord, that we can come to know you and have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes, Lord, that we might see, Lord, how weak, how feeble, Lord, how bereft we are of anything good. Lord, we are beggars. Lord, there is nothing that we have that comes from ourselves. Lord, there is no good thing that is within us, Lord, in our will, in our heart, Lord, that comes from man. But rather, every good thing comes from you. Lord, every spiritual grace must originate with you. It must come and you must give it to us. And Lord, we know that you always give these things, Lord, not apart from your word, but through your word. 
And so, Father, we pray that we would not be those who seek you in vain. Lord, those who make great boast about their love for you and how they want to know you and how they want to walk with you and how they want to be with you for all eternity, and yet whose lives now show a neglect and a disregard for your word. Lord, how can we want to be in your presence for all eternity if we are not now daily in your presence through your holy word? And so, Father, we pray that you would show us just how dependent we are upon you and upon your word. Lord, how it is that you give to us, Lord, your bounty, Lord, your loving kindness, how it is poured down upon us through your word. Lord, that we might love it. Lord, that we would cling to it. Lord, that we would seek it with all of our heart. Lord, that it might be more valuable to us than riches. And Lord, that it might be sweeter to us than honey from the honeycomb. So Lord, we pray that you would cause our desire, our love for your word to grow more and more and more. Lord, as we are sanctified and conformed to the image of Christ. And Lord, we pray that our steps would conform to your word. Lord, help us to be humble. And Lord, to be objective and open-minded when we come to your word. Lord, that we would not think that we are perfect, that we have all wisdom, that we have perfect knowledge, but that we would always be examining our life and our beliefs, our values, Lord, our goals and ambitions, Lord, everything, Lord, we would submit to your word. And Lord, if we discover and find that in some area or some way, some belief, Lord, our life is not conforming to your word, then Lord, we ask that you would grant to us a quick repentance immediately. Lord, that we would turn away from this, that it would be abhorrent to us, detestable to us, And that, Lord, we would walk with you in uprightness. And, Lord, do those things that are pleasing in your sight. Lord, as well, we pray that you would surround us with those who fear you and who seek to obey you. Lord, give to us these kinds of companions. Lord, who will give to us faithful wounds. Lord, we don't want the perverse kisses of enemies. We don't want those in our ear telling us peace and safety whenever there is sin. But Lord, we want to be with the righteous, with those who know your word, Lord, with those who are walking with you, that we might walk together with them on the pathway of holiness, and that, Lord, we might press on together into the kingdom of God. So, Lord, give to us these kinds of people, and Lord, we pray that you would bring others into our assembly who are like-minded, Lord, who have this same faith and this same desire, Lord, that we might be built up together encourage one another, and strengthen one another in our faith. So, Lord, be with us. Lord, help us to know you. Lord, to love you, to obey you. Lord, grant to us perseverance and love for your word. And, Lord, may we press on until we enter into your kingdom. And, Lord, receive the full measure of the salvation that you have given to us through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we ask that your blessing be upon your people, and it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.